When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to the first at the buzzer edition of 2022. This is, of course, your Ralphie Report podcast that covers all Colorado athletics goings on that's worth talking about. Um, We are fresh off of a fantastic Rose Bowl game that occurred yesterday. Uh, We're warm enough for the basketball season to begin again in earnest. Um, And it's, it's a lot of stuff going on right now, good and bad, mostly bad. Uh, with CU Athletics, so oh, almost, almost exclusively bad if you consider the Greater Bowler area. Uh, oh yes, we'll get into that as well. Of course, that's that's less uh, jokey and much more serious. But we'll talk about it just the same. Um, I am one co-host, Jack, over there uh, in sunny Europe. I guess is our other co-host, Sam. Sam, hello. Yeah. Yeah, thankfully yep. I am in Italy where it is sunny and not in Denmark where it has not been sunny for like months. So I'm just enjoying the the vitamin D. Good. Get that sun in, get that nice temperate weather. Um, we want to talk about whether that was more apocalyptic and temperate right off the beginning. Um, we know that plenty of the CU community, CU athletic community and much of the Colorado community at large, uh, was affected by the most recent Marshall fire that that sprung up on December 30th uh, and evacuated two pretty large Denver metro towns in Superior and Louisville. And uh, first of all, I want to make sure that everyone listening, anyone listening that was affected, we hope, number one, that you are safe and sound. Um, Luckily, it appears that uh, casualties or anything of that nature was kept to a very, very bare minimum. Um, But we want to make sure you're safe, number one, and we, we hope among hope that uh, you, you kept anything of value that you, that you wish to um, because it was a really weird, scary situation on December 30th. Uh, fire came out of nowhere and that shouldn't happen on the last days of the year. So we, we hope everyone is doing the best oh, they can with that. Even in, even in fire season, like the cities are untouchable basically. Like, like we never have fires actually threatening the cities. Like last year, like I had to pack evacuation bags being in North Boulder during those fires. And that was terrifying. And like, I can't even imagine winds just pulling it to like, the, like they're so far from the mountains. That's an unthinkable for me. Like, I can't even imagine. I, so yeah. my heart goes out to everybody. And I, I have friends who lost their houses and I just feel really like, I wish I could be there for everybody right now. Um. It's well, but luckily we know obviously that the, the community around um, those that have lost their lives is going to be as generous as possible. We've already seen a lot of that generosity proven through. Um, and that, you know, obviously that goes out to the buffs in the area. There's, you know, you're forever a buff and there are plenty of resources um, that have already stepped up and helped uh, give those 
that need help what they need. Um, so we want to point out a few of those official ones and some of the best spots we, we think you can funnel your generosity towards. Um, I, I think the easiest, most obvious one is just the official um, disaster recovery efforts sprung up by the, the state of Colorado and the Boulder County at large. Um, we will provide those links in the episode description, obviously, as well as our episode recap post. Um, and Sam, I think you had a few more specific things you want to call attention to. Yeah, we wanted to um, promote Sabatino Chen's uh, GoFundMe. Um, he, his family lost their home in Louisville. Um, so we're going, we're posting it on our own Twitter. We're going to post the link to his GoFundMe. And uh, if you are on GoFundMe, it's called like Chen Family Home. I don't know how to search on GoFundMe. But uh, it's also on his Twitter and his Instagram, which are just under Sabatino Chen. You can find it. I think he's only Sabatino Chen. Yeah. Um, he's obviously... So yeah, yeah, we're sending him all the best wishes. Yes. He's obviously been a huge supporter of this podcast and a huge... I don't know. He's great to talk to you always. Really nice guy. Uh, and a CU legend. So please, everyone who, who can, give what they can um, to help those people rebuild. Because that was a freaky situation that I hope never happens again. Yeah. Um, should we move on to the podcast? Uh, yes. I was entirely too genuine and heartfelt for that. So let's move forward uh, into things I can be more cynical about, which is, of course, the CU football program. Uh, I am an unending wellspring of, wellspring of cynicism for this particular set in time. Um, in case you've been living under a rock, we've had plenty of movement personnel and coaching wise uh, since the season ended with a bone shattering loss to Utah. Uh, we've mentioned that a few times before there have been plenty of coaching additions, but recently in this past week, we have seen some devastating departures um, from the depth chart. So yeah, we are in a rough way talent wise. Yeah, so let's see. Yesterday, Sunday. What day is today? Today's January Sunday. 1st. Yesterday, yesterday, Saturday. Yes. The start uh, of the new Brendan year. Rice. Brendan Rice, about a year after jokingly posting a transfer a transfer tweet. Do you remember that on April Fool's? I do. Uh, yes. Yes. He, he transferred from PS5 he to Xbox. Transferring, yes, he's transferring for real. <laughs> um he's entered the transfer portal and he will be leaving and he is joining of course christian gonzalez who is probably the best defender on the team who's not a senior mm. and mark mark perry the very talented uh but erratic safety mm -hmm. um so yeah these are the three best sophomores on the team <laughs> probably uh I don't know where else to go other than like it felt like Brendan Rice and Christian Gonzalez were too talented to be on this team. And that turns out to be true. Um, yeah. In a perfect world, Brendan Rice and Christian Gonzalez are the two guys you point to after a four and eight season. And you say, okay, build around these dudes. They are solid. They are talented. They have NFL potential, both of them. Let's just focus on getting the talent level around them improved and will hopefully be bowl eligible uh you can't do that anymore <laughs> can't do that anymore um so it's yeah i think those are two 
two of the, I don't know. Definitely Gonzalez has NFL potential. I would say first round potential. That guy was a rock all year. He was since he signed. Um, another thing to point out is, is this means that every blue chip that Mel Tucker signed in the vaunted 2020 recruiting class has not even mm-hmm. gotten close to exhausting the eligibility. So if we look at the four highest rated signings, which is Jake Ray, medically retired, Ashad Clayton transferred to Tulane, Brendan Rice transferring TBD, and Christian Gonzalez transferring TBD. All in all, we got uh, CU fans got to see four combined seasons out of those out of those four players, right? Um, yeah, and that's not that's not how you. And Mark program. Perry was one of the main ones. He that was twenty nineteen. He, he was the right? class before. Yeah, yeah, but okay, okay. I'm, I'm mixing up my timelines, but yeah. Yeah, Mark Perry, also a, a clear talent. Like you said, he, he showed out erratically, but he late steal from USC in the recruiting class process. Um, and he played a lot of football. It, this is an example of very, very bad attrition. Usually, I think it's a signal of something that's gone wrong. Um, you know, I don't want to never, of course, blame the kids. They're doing what's best for them. Both Gonzalez and Rice lost their position coaches in this offseason. So it's not a huge surprise. Because those are the people they spend the most time with. Um, yeah, I don't know. Not a good mm-hmm. thing. Not a good thing. <laughs> um, so besides like grad transfers and players who like lost their job, like like Darian Rickstraw and Sam Noyer, like they were, the team was okay with them transferring. When was the last time a CU player transferred who CU wanted to keep? Off the top of your head, who's the first person you think of? How long ago was it? Because uh, I, I have one in 2008. That's the last one I can think of. Is Josh Smith leaving soon oh, for UCLA? Uh, Israel Antwine, when Mike McIntyre was fired, going to Oklahoma State. That was a big loss. There you go. There's my okay, one. Okay. Okay. Played really Thank well you. as a freshman. Didn't that like Mel Tucker. Yeah. Yeah, Israel Antwine was, was a loss. But really, like you mentioned, there's not a lot of plus Power 5 players that transfer out of CU recently just because there hasn't no, been a lot of plus stick Power around 5 shit players. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. No, even, even, even in around, like 2010, like like Nate Solder, Jimmy yeah. Smith, Jaleel Brown, like yes. all these guys were on shit teams. Uh-huh. And they just – like even when they're bad te- – Players usually like being on CU. And I think like like we can probably talk about this on a larger scale. And I don't know if I want to segue too quickly, but like this is the new transfer rules of immediate transfer eligibility. Mm-hmm. Um, is that like you have these programs like CU, which has become, much to our detriment, a bottom feeding conference league, a conference team. And we might be seeing these teams like become feeder programs to the bigger ones. Um, okay. Yeah, I know. I think this is a worthwhile conversation. A lot of talks have been saying that this is like NIL based. Brendan Rice is, you know, there people are saying that he's leaving because there's not a lot of NIL opportunity around the CU program. There are people talking like that. There's the transfer rules. Obviously it's a brand new day in college football. Um, yeah. You know, my thought is I actually don't think – I think the transfer rules on average will help um, bottom-tier Power 5 teams and, and upper-tier G5 teams more than they'll hurt. Um, 
it, it goes on what you value. I, like you mentioned, I think the proven talent sometimes will leave to go get a more opportunity and that we're seeing that happen. I think that was happening at the group of five level anyways at a pretty wide scale. I think what we're also seeing is players aren't going to wait three years at Ohio State to start for one year, right? And I think a lot of what you're seeing mm-hmm. dominant programs, like Alabama is really good at this, is there a lot of what brings their dominance is the depth of talent, not necessarily the high end talent. I think a lot of what um, creates really good college football teams is that you can have guys that are really good on your second and third string and you rotate in. There's not a drop, you know, all that stuff. Talent pipelines looking good. And if, if the whole, mm-hmm. whole thing about the transfer rules, there's less patience, right? If that's what we're seeing, there's less patience from players. Um, they want to go where they are best showcased. That also applies to bench players on high-level Power 5 teams. I think we're seeing a lot of those guys also move um, so they can better show out, and that would put CU in a position to, to benefit. Um, you know, Easy examples of Robert Barnes last year. didn't work out because of injuries, but that's a guy who is playing spot minutes at Oklahoma, going to play a lot at CU. You know, um, Jack Lamb, same thing. Spot minutes at Notre Dame, going to play a lot at CU. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see a lot of that movement as well. So I don't think it's the end of the world for, for teams like CU. I think player movement in general is going to actually yeah. even out talent a bit, but the high-end talent will still stay at the high-end talented schools. It, it does feel like, though, that we would be losing our proven talent and taking risks on unproven talent at bigger schools. Well, that's what I was going to say is, is Which, what you're going to see yeah. is the consistency at bigger schools increase, I think, because they don't have to wait to make sure they develop right. They can just say, we're going to pick the best every year. Um, basically, you know, there's going to be a semi-draft. However, it still allows you, you mm-hmm. know, you play USC once a year, but you play Arizona and Arizona State and similarly talented teams quite often. So, I, I, on aggregate, I don't think it's going to be the worst thing for CU. But maybe that's too optimistic. I don't know. Okay. Maybe. And, I don't know. In um, this specific but, instance, it's but, terrible. But, <laughs> right. What we're looking at right now yeah. is awful. Yeah. It's also like, like I, I honestly feel like if I was as good as Brendan Rice or Christian Gonzalez, I would be leaving. Like, there's no reason. This team isn't going to be good next year. Like, we already know that. There's no reason they should be risking injury to play for a bad team when they can go make more money on NIL and secure better draft stock. Um, like why, think, why wouldn't you yeah. stay if you can just go? Yeah, especially in their instance. Look, CU's had six head coaches since 2005. You know, there's a Rose Bowl graphic saying that's most in the country uh, in that time. That is, you know, these guys were recruited by, I think, McIntyre first, maybe not. And then, you know, Tucker came in, they had Tucker for one year, then they had Carl Durrell. They, they, there's different position coaches in all of that, especially for Gonzalez. You know, that's a lot of, you can't, it's hard to get attached to guys like that. You know, it's hard to attach to a program when everyone that is your leader, that is paid to lead you, is is shifting like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I cannot blame them at all. I think their thought process totally makes sense. And like you mentioned, there's going to be a lot of struggling for CU next year. I think anyone will say that. So why do that? Brendan Rice had like, what, 20 catches last year? Should have had like 60? Yeah, leave. <laughs> go go somewhere where you can get 60. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, there's no room for him to shine when the this offense is that bad. 
Yeah, and you know, uh, like, I remember. Go ahead. I, I, there was a game where I think he had one catch for seven yards, and I was like, "Wow, he was the best player on the field today." Because right, like one of his right. catches got wiped off on a hold. One of them was like a two point conversion. Yeah, just stuff like that. It's like, yeah, damn, please get him the ball. Yeah, he's he's a he's a great talent. We wish him the best. Um, we did not get him the ball, and and CU is now paying paying for it. Um, and this, those two those two will have their 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 pick of the litter with like where they're going. Yeah, you know, people are already speculating Gonzalez to Oregon because that's where the defensive backs coach just just moved to for CU. I don't know if that's going to be the case, Can't but um, yeah, that'll be fun to play against. CU in general has had a lot of transfers. I think USC is the only team that has more than them in the Pac-12. Um, a lot of this is is attrition you won't really notice, especially next year. Um, I, I don't think it would be stuff that's that's too alarming, but stuff like this is absolutely. And if more if more starters come out and transfer, uh, we are looking at a pretty pretty bad. Uh, yeah, we're looking at stuff that would require some large scale changes. Is what I would say. Um, yeah, I don't know. Speaking of changes, um, and this is going to be a more positive note, at least for me, there's also been a lot of staff movement in the last few weeks. Um, I will go through the full rundown, Sam, if I have your permission. Yeah, go ahead. I'm not okay. paying attention. Awesome. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> let's start with the, the biggest, I think, this was the first hire. Um, uh, Mike Sanford, I, we might have mentioned this before in a prior podcast. Mike Sanford was hired as the offensive coordinator, replacing Darren Shiverini. Um, we will get into the analysis of all these guys later. Um, along with that hire, there's an offensive line coach, new offensive line coach hired. Kyle Devan was a new offensive line coach hire. On the defensive side, the surprising departure of Demetrius Martin at defensive backs coach led to a new defensive back coach being hired, Rod Chance. And finally, out of the blue, came another defensive coach hire that had no real replacement, no real easy spot to look at right now, and that is Vixa Oto um, at defensive line, outside linebacker, something like that as a coach. Um, So those are the four hires. We can probably expect another hire on the offensive side of the ball, um, depending on what role Mike Sanford takes coaching. Um, But – Sam, before I go even deeper into why I love a lot of these hires, I want to hear your overall thoughts on uh, what, what, what transpired. Uh, my thoughts on the coaching searches. Yeah. And I think the offensive coordinator is the easy one to start with, given that there is a lot of weird, you know, a lot of no info and then a lot of bunk info near the end. Yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't really following the coaching search very closely. I wasn't on the message boards every day like like you were. Um, Not a good but, but I think the general takeaway I think the general takeaway from this is that there weren't that many coordinator positions open across the country because most uh, programs were hiring head coaches from other teams and they, like there weren't any promoting of, head, of offensive coordinators so there weren't that many spots open and yet CU could barely get in the door with any of them. Um, hmm. So okay. it really yeah. just showed like the, the process seemed to be so slow and yeah. so uninspiring 
that you really have to think that this is not a valuable job to, to have. Like becoming an offensive coordinator at CU is not prestigious at all. And I don't think that they come with very much job security. Well, like, that's, like we just yeah. hired. Go ahead. Well, that's, that's, the, that's the main thing to me is, is some of what we're looking at here is I, I don't know how much of the job not being attractive it was as opposed to, uh, you know, Carl Durrell going to hire you in the end of 2020. How long is Carl Durrell going to be there? You know, we don't quite know what yeah. that looks like. So that's going to be a cause for pause um, with some coaches. Yeah, like what what does Mike Sanford do? I remember seeing everybody on Twitter just blasting them because every <laughs> single team he's been on, the offense has been worse than the year prior and then better when he leaves. Yeah, so I, w- I would love to get into each of these coaches, um, and I'll start with Mike Sanford. I was trying to tee you up to talk about how we we both got excited. I think a lot of the fan base got excited that Brennan Marion might have been the hire. There's a lot of tr- Twitter smoke around Brennan Marion. Yeah. Um, who is fun, innovative, young. Um, he is the wide receiver coach for the Texas Longhorns. He just switched. He moved from Pitt. Oh, that'll be good for him. I, I, yeah. I hope so as well. Well, he's also like, he's definitely a, he's just jumping from job to job. I think that's pretty obvious just looking at his yes. resume. Yeah. I don't think he stayed in the place more than two years, but he, he did have a really exciting, like he, he he's very exciting to see. And that's obvious for me to say because I only learned about him three weeks ago when we started hearing his name. <laughs> but he, he's much more exciting than this other guy who they're both unproven, but this guy we got seems to be more proven to not work. I was about to say, Sanford's proven. He's definitely had yeah. experience. Uh, experience being bad is not a good thing, though. So, yeah. I uh, Yeah. I, so, I mean, it's better than Shiv, but. Right. So I wanted to talk about overall with the hires too, but I'll start with just Sanford. Brennan Marion had some smoke that turned out to be not a real thing. Uh, there was, I'm, I'm trying to think we, I think there, it was widely reported. It was down to, there was three finalists. We don't quite know who the three finalists were. Obviously Sanford won out. Um, and, and just speaking about Mike Sanford, which once again, this might be a semi repeat, but his, his offenses are definitely run heavy, which fits with, with what Carl Durrell has always wanted to do on offense. Um, he definitely is pro style. I'll say that for sure. He, he likes under center, a lot of that stuff um, before. And he's had plenty of experience as an co- offensive coordinator at the Power 5 level. Um, that's pretty much the end of the positives. The negatives, the big negative, like Sam mentioned, is the offenses generally get worse whenever he's in charge of that, <laughs> which in my opinion is a pretty big negative. Mm-hmm. I also am concerned that he's literally from the Dan Hawkins coaching tree. Yes. Uh, uh, quarterback at Boise state while Dan Hawkins was the, the head coach there. Um, and, and that's how he got to start. He then moved to, uh, he was a GA uh, under his father, who was a head coach, I believe at UNLV. Or New Mexico, one of those. Yes, uh, yes, I'm reading your article right now. Um, yeah, and then he went to Stanford. He did some good things at Stanford. I think he was a mixture of running backs coach, technically recruited Christian McCaffrey, um, but you know I think the program did more recruiting than anything. Um, was a wide receivers coach with Ty Montgomery. Had his big year, 
and I believe is also a quarterbacks coach at some point too. And David Shaw um, was was still very involved in the offense. Moves from Stanford. Mm-hmm. I Can believe- you tell me about Stanford quarterbacks? Are they good? <laughs> uh, they were once upon a time, Sam. Once upon a time, they were good. They have not been for quite some time. <laughs> um, he was not. I don't think was he there with Andrew Luck. He might have been. No, I don't. I don't. Uh, he wasn't responsible here. for Andrew Luck if he was there. Test my memory here. I think directly after that, did he go to Notre Dame directly from Stanford? Uh, he said went to Boise State for one year and That's then right. Stanford. That's right. And then according to your article that you yeah. so thoroughly remembered. Yeah. So he went to Boise State for one year as offensive coordinator, had pretty good success there. Uh, and then went to Notre Dame when Brian Kelly was still also heavily involved in the offense and I believe calling plays. Um, and they averaged around 30 a game when he was there. That's probably his best feather in his cap. But once again, Kelly shared a lot of the responsibility. Um, still was in charge of recruiting quarterbacks, was the quarterback's coach. So he recruited Ian Book, who happened to be a pretty good college quarterback for the Irish. Um, then he was, got a head coaching job very young. I think he was like 33, 34 at Western Kentucky. The Hilltoppers, who were an explosive offense before he got there, a moribund offense while he was there, and then explosive offense after he left. Um, so, you know, take what you will hmm. from that. Extremely young, like I mentioned. Uh, he was coached there for, I believe, two years, three years before they pulled the plug. Um, landed a golden parachute after that. I, at, I think he went straight to Minnesota after that as their offensive coordinator for the past two years. Um was just fired by P.J. Fleck uh, at the end of this year, and now he ends up at CU. So a lot of firings in his in his uh, resume. I it, it, maybe he yeah. You on. know what they say if you if you can't if you can't cut it at Western Kentucky, you can definitely <laughs> cut it in the Pac-12. If yeah, exactly uh, the Hilltopper is a high bar. Uh, that's what they say. So you know, I thought that there was something positive about this, but it just sounds worse and worse and worse. Well, uh, here's what here's a here's a positive I'll come out of. Experienced and young are two good things to be as a head coach, uh, as a coach in general. Um, and he's both those things. Still in his 30s, hanging on near the tail end of 30 here. I think he's like 38, 39. Um, and he's definitely been around a lot of big time programs, very much not successfully at times. Um, if you look at advanced, a few more advanced metrics, they seem to actually really like his Minnesota offense last year. Um, he's definitely a control the clock, run the ball out, you know, get the third and short every every drive guy, which I could see why advanced metrics would like that kind of efficiency. Um, however, he was also gifted probably the best offensive line in the Big Ten up there, super experienced offensive line. He will not be gifted that offensive line at Colorado. So um, we'll see how that efficiency still still stacks. But by efficiency metrics, Sam, Minnesota's offense was like top 30, top 40 um, in the country this year. Mm, yeah, also happens helps that uh, they had just a stable of really good running backs. I know they got hurt, but they were yes. all fantastic. Yes. And, we, and we all saw that, too. Yeah, yeah. And Can't exactly. Forget. He he blanked. They blanked CU. He scored 30 against CU, which wasn't that hard given the defense was on the field for like a million yards or a million minutes. Um, distressing with the Minnesota offense is that Tanner Morgan looked like a All-American as a as a freshman and he's two years under Sanford. He got worse and worse. Um, who knows how much of that is the player, how much of that is the coach, but certainly not a good sign. for Also that his, uh, his receiver's his receivers went to the NFL and then sat out a year and went to the NFL. 
Right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, no Rashad Bateman. And who's the other guy missing? That was really good. Tyler Johnson. Thank you. Um, so yeah. And, and, and I don't know. I don't know. It's, this is the most Carl Durrell hire I could think of super safe hire in every way. will work on control. Why does he like this? Uh, I don't know. It's just, I, the way I keep describing, describing Carl Durrell is he's just like, you know how, some old school coaches would talk about football guys. I feel like he super values like what a football guy is. Like Mike Sanford was going into the game. His dad was a coach. He respects the, you know, stuff like that. Like it, it doesn't even feel like a football guy type of hire. Like I would love Jim Tom Sula, if you remember him. Wow. Like those like <laughs> <laughs> like not that I want to hire Jim Tom I was Sula, about to say, I think it's that's available, a, man. That's that that's a football guy to me is like the the, the like Dan Campbell like that type of thing. Well, yeah, um, I, I think Dan Campbell's a little too like flashy. a red ass, but okay, but but these guys are just boring. It's like yes. if David Shaw wasn't successful, which he isn't right now. Yes, which is it's just boring, sad football. Yeah, yes. Well. Um, yeah, that's what we're getting. We're just getting we, we're Stanford football without. The years of success before that, and and well, and That's hopefully, sort of hopefully, we do bring the success. We have the strength and conditioning from the coach from those years of success. Sanford was also part of that staff. Um, Carl Durrell seems to really value that model. Who knows if it's sustainable without Stanford's brand? But. That's, I think, what he's going for. Um, you can tell, listen, dear this. listener, that Sam and I are not huge fans, especially when there was such an ample opportunity to go be something different and be something exciting. We are. This is the. Uh, this is the most not different I can think of. Um, you know, I, I do love running the ball, and I appreciate that CU's will continue to value running the ball. But there are ways to do that without being paint drying, um, and I think it's some of what we're going to see next year. I think that the the most positive thing. Besides Shiverini being gone and not having his recruiting. Positive thing is, is, that, is it's hard to do worse. If, if CU somehow do worse, does yes, worse, it'll be more of an yes. accomplishment than improving. As an offensive coordinator that has a similar idea of what he wants to do as the head coach, I think that that should be better. Because Shiverini doesn't know how to run an offense that Darrell wants. Well, and just it's hard to be worse than 126 than passing offense. It it literally oh, is they were? not a lot of spots. See you. They were that they were they were that good. <laughs> yes, I believe we beat out Navy and Air Force. Oh my god! Uh, but don't worry, Minnesota uh, was way better at 115th in passing oh. offense last year. So, oh, oh, uh, but they did run a lot and they oh. ran well. I will say that. So, in general, that's that's the offensive coordinator hire. I believe, like I mentioned, there's going to be one more hire on the offensive side of the ball. Um, Danny Langsdorf may still be retained. Uh, we don't know exactly what Sanford's going to coach. He can be a quarterbacks coach. Is what I would prefer he takes. Um, there's a wide receiver coaching spot available, and he's done that in the past. I would prefer that our uh, offensive coordinator not be a wide receiver coach again. Um, so we'll see what, how that goes. Um, he already made his first eye hire as a offensive coordinator, and that is Kyle Devan, uh, offensive line. This, in my opinion, is where the hires start looking up. Kyle Devan, I think, is a pretty good hire and about the best we could expect CU to do in this in this um, situation. 
you want me to keep going? Yeah, I don't know what you want me to say. Yeah, go on. I I have no opinions. I'll go in. So, Kyle Devan most recently was an analyst from the Michigan Wolverines, who just won the Joe Moore Award for best offensive line. Um, He, before that, was the offensive line coach under Kevin Sumlin at Arizona for two years. Um, That whole thing was a disaster top to bottom, so not hard hard to blame him for anything there. Um, Before that, he was an NFL player for a long time, all Pac-10 player at Oregon State before that. Um, and he is a guy that I think is a pretty good mix. He's, he's young, which is good. Known he recruited pretty well at Arizona, knows the footprint well in general. Um, you know, West coast guy just spent some time, uh, learning under, like I said, probably the best incubator for offensive line coaching under Sharon Moore in Michigan, who is amazing. And Jim Harbaugh, who always has pretty good lines. Um, so he comes in here with a nice wealth group of experience and I, I expect him to recruit obviously better than what we've seen for the past two years and I think he's going to be a, a competent coach for those guys also he's a player's coach super fun guy to be around um which I think is important especially on the offensive line given that they don't get a lot of glory so that, that's my basic gist of Devan I think he's a good young coach who will be competent he'll recruit you okay he'll get you he'll get your guys coached up okay not a liability yeah, and he didn't sell blocking equipment to high school. That's right. And he wasn't the 80 of a high school before Carl Durrell hired him. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, Sorry. I mixed up my my two jobs that he did. No, oh, my gosh. That was such a bad hire. Yeah, that, that will go down as one of the worst Power 5 hires in retrospect, I think. But Kyle Levan is just, not that. Kyle Levan is not that. Take heed. He is a competent Power 5 coach. Yeah, that's the lowest bar he could clear. Like Shiv has a low, like that's a low bar for uh, Sanford to clear, but it's a lower bar for Devan to clear. Oh yes, yeah, he. Will, I think he'll be a bigger improvement though than Sanford was from Shiv. I think we'll be pleasantly surprised how the offensive line looks. Um, so that's the other offensive hire. Darian Hagan still in there at running backs coach, and uh, thank uh, God Brian Cook still in there at tight ends coach for now. Um. Moving over the I defensive know, side of the ball, because to me this is much more interesting that they, they made any moves because it looked like the staff is going to stay in place. Let's start with the guy. I'm going to crown the best hire of this offseason and the best hire Carl Durrell has made, period. Um, Vic Suoto is coming in uh, after being fired from USC as part of the Helson staff. I think he has the potential to be one of the best position coaches in the Pac-12, period. I love this guy. Love him. Yeah, why so? Why is that? Okay, I, I'm just leaving space looks just in cool. case because I'm happy to talk for 20 minutes straight. Suoto, um, yeah, so I, I loved him a lot while still while he was at Virginia back when they had a really good defensive line at Bryce Perkins. I watched them a lot because I love watching Bryce Perkins. If you remember that team, um, no, I remember your love for Bryce Perkins. Yeah, so I, I watched them a lot, and the defensive line was always pretty good. I looked up the, the coordinator or the defensive line coach, uh, and it was Suoto, and he is. Uh, just a, exactly what I want to see from a position coach. He's 35, still super young, played at BYU, um, and he's from San Diego area. So exactly the profile you want to see, knows how to recruit Utah some, still has roots there, still has roots in California. Um, from Virginia, he was hired the past few years to coach USC's defensive line. He recruited the number one recruit in the country while at USC successfully. Um and, you know, I had a bunch of other really good recruits. Jay Toa is really good. Marlon Tuipioto, I said that completely wrong, but he was also really good. Um, yeah, he, he is 
fantastic at coaching, fantastic at recruiting, young, has the right recruiting footprint in mind, plenty of room to grow. Love the guy. I think I think he's going to be fantastic. And I hope that CU, he will be fantastic at CU for a long time. And what does our deep line look like next year? Yeah, so we're is losing it? Mustafa Johnson. Terrence Lang is, is supposed to be coming back. Uh, Jalen Sami is supposed to be coming back. So some pretty good building blocks there. Um, he, both Devan and Suoto will have some recruiting to do right away, given that there was almost no offensive or defensive line signees um, in this incoming high school class. So I'd expect a lot of transfers on both those sides. How, of the long, how long has Terrence Lang been at CU? Since 2017, I believe. Yeah, I need to find yeah. this out. Yeah, that dude's old. Um, yeah, 2017, 18, 19, 20, 21. Oh, my God. He's going to be – Yeah, he's going to be a beast. He has been. Love the guy. Yes. Sixth year senior. Oh, my God. Sixth year senior. Let's get it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so the weird thing about Suoto is – I'm saying it so wrong. It's so Oto. Uh, is he is presumably taking the same spot that Chris Wilson coaches. Our defensive coordinator, Chris Wilson, obviously also coaches the defensive line. Chris Wilson is one of the best defensive line coaches in the game, period. Um, but he will be moving on into a different role. So he's coached middle linebackers before. That would be a natural fit, given that our current inside linebackers coach, Mark Smith, um, has coached defensive backs before at the Power 5 level. Um, so that was the associated bing-bang-boom. However, Sam, however, yes. uh, CU just hired a new defensive backs coach. So I don't think you need to slot anyone else in that position. The other new hire replacing Demetrius Martin is Rod Chance. Rod Chance, this is an odd thing, is basically in a trade. He was Oregon's defensive backs coach under Mario Cristobal for the past two seasons. Uh, Dan Lanning comes into Oregon, hires CU's defensive backs coach. Now Oregon's defensive backs coach is coming to CU. So Rod Chance, similar profile, I think another great hire. Late mid-30s, so young guy still. High Power 5 experience, Coach DBs at Minnesota for one year. If you remember Antoine Winfield Jr., um, Rod Chance was yes, his. Yes, of course I do. There you go. Rod Chance was his he was his position coach the year that he went nuts and got drafted in the second round. Um, he was under he was at Oregon for the last two years, as I mentioned, recruited some really high-ranked um, guys. He has been at the – he was a Georgia high school coach, so he has some Georgia connections. Obviously has some West Coast connections through Oregon. Um, just another great hire, solid coach in the recruiting footprint. Um, defensive staff, in my opinion, looks really good. Really good. Oh, also some Utah connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Southern, nice Southern Utah's Utah defensive against. coordinator. Yes, Southern Utah's defensive coordinator. Him and Sooto both have some pretty nice Utah connections. Um, so, I, yeah, I, it's, I personally really like how the defensive staff is shaping up. Um, right now, there's 11 assistant coaches. CU is allowed 10. So we'll probably see someone moving on, um, presumably from the defensive side. It'll be interesting to see who that is. Michael Lowski's contract has expired, and he was the offensive line, outside linebackers coach. That would be an obvious choice, but we will see. Yeah, I don't want Michael Lowski to leave. He's a really good recruiter, too. And, and he's cheap. Yeah, I, I like both of those things. He's relatively inexpensive, good recruiter, connects with the guys pretty well. So I don't want him to leave either, but it's getting crowded. Um, I don't know. Overall, I think the staff got way better this offseason, coincidentally. 
Well, I want to see if there's a, a higher left on the opposite side of the ball or if they're retaining Langsdorf in some capacity. Uh, my preference is that Sanford becomes a quarterback's coach, Langsdorf moves on, and there's a new guy uh, that we hire at, at wide receiver coach or passing game coordinator, whatever you want to call it. That would be my preference, but we'll see what that looks like. I, in, in general, I think the staff got better. Just think, else we got? Just think the talent um, didn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're not going to be good next year. That's okay. Don't worry. Um, uh, the schedule only has 11 Power 5 teams in Air Force, so it's not like it's hard. <laughs> what if we go 0-12? That would fucking suck. I am... it, it would suck, um, but, you know, we're going to talk about this more as we get deeper in the offseason and, and my discontentment grows. I know in 12 season would force some massive changes that I think would need to happen regardless. So, um, you know, pain, pain would equal yeah. new things. Anyways, let's move on to something that won't be massive changes. What? See you basketball? Basketball, back baby. On back on the schedule. It's been yes, man. Since December 18th, since CU has played, but they are finally Thank you, COVID. playing the Oregon Ducks on Monday, tomorrow. Absolutely. And I believe everyone will um, have a clean bill of health because I think that COVID issues will have been fully resolved by then. I don't know. Yeah. And they've been resting their weary little legs. And Oregon just played on Saturday. They Against beat Utah. Utah. Yep. Um, I don't know if Oregon's good. I don't think you know if Oregon's good. I don't think Oregon. Oregon yeah, I was about to say, Oregon doesn't know if Oregon's good. Um. Huh. I don't think we'll win, but it's okay. We could. Is this is this on the road, right? This is at Matthew Nat Arena. Yeah. Yeah. I that'll be tough. Uh, like you said, CU's gonna be rusty. Um I'm sure you've seen Sam that for the the uh <laughs> for canceling the Kansas game, CU got five votes in the AP poll, <laughs> which I find hilarious. What? Yeah, after the Kansas game was canceled, the next AP poll came out and CU had five votes, which I'm sure would not have happened if they lost to Kansas, as was predicted. So, uh, yeah, they are now in the receiving votes category as a 9-3 and three team. Um, yeah, weird. Why would weird you happens. vote for them? Even if, if you've seen them play, why would you vote for them? But they haven't seen CU play is the thing. Got to be one of the worst teams against the spread in the country. Got to be. Well, they're not. They're not good, also. See you? Yeah. I, I'll i agree. Yeah, sure. But, you know, it's a young team. Uh, Lumps are expected. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's okay. It's okay that they're not good. They'll be better at the end of the year. Absolutely. It's just, like, yeah. right now, they're, they're not yeah. a good team. And, and like, like, can... They shouldn't be scraping. They shouldn't be scraping by, like, barely being able to score 65 points against a bad team. Right. And no shooting. You know, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard to see where the offense comes from consistently. Yeah. Um, um, if you can come out of this road trip one and one, I'm pretty happy. Are you happy with that? This is so it's not a road trip yet. So they're playing Oregon, and then on Thursday and Sunday they host Washington State in Washington. Oh, this Oregon is the one off That's away right. game. Yeah, the Oregon State away game hasn't been rescheduled yet. Okay, so if you go two and one in those games, I'm extremely happy. Are you expecting two and one? Um, I don't know how good Washington State is. I, I, I like disappointing. I haven't they have been, been very to disappointing to me. 
Yeah. Yeah. The issue is like, I haven't been able to watch very much CU basketball at all because like there's no highlights. There's no condensed games. I can easily watch and all the games start at 2 a.m. my time. So I've just been behind. So I've, I'm not going to, I haven't been watching Washington state basketball if I can't watch CU basketball. Um, they've been struggling and they, they, they took some losses to some whack teams, which isn't a bad conference this year, but still, uh, mm-hmm. they took in a few boneheaded losses. I believe they started conference play. Not great. Um, for someone who should be, you know, top four team this year. Wait, the what the fuck? What? Dude, uh, they beat Arizona state 51, 29. What the fuck? Yes, 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 yes. That was a fire Bobby early game. That was a very funny game. And that was at Arizona state. Yeah. <laughs> How did that happen? Uh, Arizona State is a broken team with a broken head coach is how that happened. Never forget, Bobby Hurley, I believe, makes double tap oil makes. Never forget. Um, This is so funny. I need to be following this a little bit. Yeah, well, it's it's been hard. No see you basketball. Arizona State beat Oregon. That's, oh, what the? On a buzzer beater. What is going on? Yeah, Pac-12 was weird this year, but all of college basketball is weird this year. It, it looks like it's going to be yeah. a Big 12 versus everyone type of game. Like I've noticed that so far that I can't keep track of who's good and who's not, and the COVID situation has not made anything easier. No, to follow. no. There's – I – okay, okay. This is – it's going to become very apparent as the season goes on that I have I'm sacrificing college basketball because – I didn't realize how much sports I consume on a regular basis when I was at home. Like I would watch soccer in the morning, baseball in the afternoon, basketball at night, whatever, whatever. And I always just would have sports on out of your following. And now that everything starts at like 11 PM at the earliest, I am not following anything. And I can't, (laughs) I can't catch up. I can't just catch up on everything in the morning. Like I can't, I'm not even following any sport right now closely. It's bad. So don't take it for granted, Jack. Don't take well, it for what, granted. I mean, you got to get like a YouTube TV or something that DVRs those things for you automatically. Yeah, but I mean, like, I, I'm not, I, I can't just, if, if it doesn't feel right to just watch DVR versions of the game. Like, if it's not live, if I'm not following it, it feels like an, an addiction if I'm, if I'm like, oh, I got to, I, I know that you What a strange play. line to draw. <laughs> <laughs> it's just time like, like you said it's just time you, you can't stay mm-hmm. up late all the time so it, the time you would spend otherwise you're now spending in the morning watching the game that yeah, you weren't up for yeah I, I mean at the same time so like the morning is my productive time so i am in school and i'm trying to be productive and i i i've been spending way too much of my mornings trying to watch basketball from the night before it's it's just not a, it's not good. I need I I need to go home. It sounds like you just need a system, or or pay someone to do your schoolwork for you is what it sounds like. Hmm. I used to do that at CU. I shouldn't say it, but I was one of the pre- people who got paid. Nice, beautiful. Whatever. Um. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's. Pac-12 is weird this year. College basketball in general is weird this year. Like you said, COVID issues makes it harder even still to figure out who's good and who's not. Um, but this, I feel like this is a, a test of equals against Oregon on uh, when they go on the road. So it'll be interesting to see how they respond. Mm-hmm. 
this team is still dangerously thin on experience with the road games, especially those with people on the crowd. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, what else? Do we have anything else? Um, I don't think so. Colorado women's basketball still undefeated. One of the three undefeated teams in the country ranked looking yeah. good this year. They were eighth in the in eighth seed in the bracket, last bracketology I saw, which will be a, a death knell because that would be going against UConn. Um, but you know, hey, still glad they're making the tournament for the first time in a while. Great, fun team to watch. Fun team to watch. They move the ball well. Yeah, I want to say, um, wait, who's the Quincy Miller? She's yes, a sixth Quay. Woman. Yeah, sixth sixth woman. Yes, Quay Miller. Quay Miller. She is so cool. Yep. And I am so glad she's on the team because she, um, she's like not a consistent offensive player at all. But whenever she goes off, she goes off, and that's so nice to have as a six as mm-hmm. a six woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just very happy. I mean, she moves really in. well for like what six five center. She's like, you know, a pretty big center for Pac-12 play, and she moves really well. So yeah, and she, no, and, and she's skilled. Yeah, she can shoot. She can pass. She can yeah. do everything, and she's big. Yep. And she's bodies people. Jalen Sherrod continues to be a great lead guard. Um, glad to see her back from injury. I don't know. Teams worth watching, especially as we get into conference play, and it's just best against best. Uh, this is a really good team. We're happy for J.R. Payne, who's had a long, hard road. Always positive. Always a great recruiter. Um, yeah, I don't know. Watch the women's basketball team whenever you find time. Yeah. Um, right, I'm good. I'm done. Cool. See you, Jack. Good night. Boss!